0: For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, icon. Well, Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this season. Um, If I'm honest, sometimes it feels rote and routine to revisit the same story every year at the same time of the year. But I pray that as we, over these next four weeks, explore the nativity story, and revisit some of the significance of the aspects of the Nativity story, God, I just pray that you would give us a fresh sense of wonder at how your son Jesus came into the world. God, I just pray that this Christmas season, this Advent season, would would not just be filled with sentimentality, but there would be a sense of depth at, at what Christ has done, what he came to do and finished. And so, Father, I I pray that your Holy Spirit would would give us a renewed sense of wonder, a renewed sense of gratitude for your Son, for your faithfulness to your promises, for your grace to us that, though all of us have run from you in our lives, you still chose to intervene, to come to save us. And so, Father, I, I just pray that you would... Work in us by your Spirit that we would see this story with a fresh heart, that's ready to receive the joy that it can give us. God, would you would you help us in that? Would you unite your power with my weak words today and help us to see the wonder of how your Son came into the world? And as He sings in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, uh, how we doing, Icon? Doing good, yeah. It's a fun crowd today, actually. Um, There's a, thanks. (laughs) Let me see if I can get my iPad to open here. Okay, there we go. How are we doing? Good Thanksgiving? Yeah, this is a fun crowd. I'm seeing a lot of people who actually talked back to me. All those like stuffy people are like sick at home or out of town. So I'm glad for this crowd. Uh, Man, I'm super tired. Uh, I was was sick uh, this last week. So it was a a great Thanksgiving. um, And... As we were sick and recovering, um, my wife and I decided that, you know it would be really fun? You know it would make for a great Thanksgiving? We should put both of our children, who have completely different sleep patterns, in the same room for the first time in their lives. Um, and that went in the way that you thought it would. <laughs> um, so yeah, Friday night, they went to bed at 11. Their normal bedtime is seven. And then they woke up at six. She's not listening, I don't know. It was like six or something. Um, Yesterday was a little bit better, but man, those kids are kids are crazy. It was it was a tiring week, um, but despite the tiring week, we still did as a family what we. Uh, have started to do since we moved here to Seattle, which is the day after Thanksgiving, uh, we always go out and play in the mountains. Uh, I feel like it's a, it's a shift in the into the Christmas season, and so we try to go find some snow and go play in it. And so we still did that on Friday, um, but the, the, the pass over by Snoqualmie uh, Summit over there Um, had a really bad storm on Friday and uh, we were driving there. We had a little bit of fun. Um, The kids didn't, I don't know why we do it every year. The kids actually don't like the snow, you know? It's like they're there for like 20 seconds and then we just drive back an hour. And it's like, cool, at least we wasted time and now it's nap time, which is what every parent is really delaying toward, right? You know, (laughs) Uh, But it was fun. It was fun for for me, at least. I love the snow. And we were driving back, and like I said, there was a bad storm that was going on. And, um, you know, the day after Thanksgiving is also a day where a lot of families go and get their Christmas tree. And um, we were driving, and there was a car that had a Christmas tree on the top of their van. And that poor little Christmas tree... Was doing everything it could to hold as many little bristles as it could on the highway in that storm. Um, I, I just imagine that family found the one Christmas tree that they were so excited to have. It was the right size, it was nice and full. But by time like fall city or so, that thing was thin. <laughs> um, that, I feel like they probably got that off of their car and were just like, we're just gonna burn this and throw it in the trash. We'll start over again next week. Um, and I saw that, I saw that tree. Uh, losing all its bristles on the highway, and I thought, man, that's kind of like our Christmas season sometimes. Um, we, we enter into it with such expectation and we're so excited for it, and there's all kinds of things that the Christmas season holds, but often it, it comes with some disappointment. We, we get through the season and we have all these high expectations, we have our traditions, right? We change up how we dress, we change how we decorate, we buy new anthropology candles that smell like Christmas, right? Am I the only one? I'll spend the money on that, (laughs) okay? (laughs) See, I'm tired, so it's gonna like, today's gonna be a very authentic Joshua up here. We put on Christmas sweaters, right? I'm like, I'm the worst of it. I am the biggest sentimental Christmas guy. I I listen to Christmas music at 12.01 a.m. on November 1st. That's when I kick it off, I, I get my sweaters, I get my candles, the, the whole shebang. But, but if you're like me, the, the sentimentality of Christmas always seems to disappoint in some ways. And that's because if, if this season is built upon just sentimentality, just tradition, just the things that we're excited about, We always have to have some sense of disappointment. The the Christmas season holds so much busyness and so much to do and so many people to see and it just runs by us and then we wake up on December 26th and realize, man, that wasn't the season that I was expecting. That went by so quickly. I, I had such expectations. I was so excited and it really wasn't as deep of an experience as I thought it would be. And so for this year, for the Advent series this year, I want to give you something that that might help you enjoy the sentimentality of Christmas, but also experience some of the depth of the Advent story, of what we as Christians believe about how Jesus came into the world. You see, the, the story of Jesus, how he came into the world, is charged with potential to give you a Christmas season that is really full of depth that you can really enjoy. But again, we often miss the significance of these things because we are so familiar with them. We're so familiar with the Christmas story, we're so familiar with Luke one through two or Matthew one through two, and we just read on by it. We don't really see the depth that is there. And what I wanna do in this Advent series over the next few weeks is kind of revisit some of the important aspects, some of the commonly known aspects of how Jesus came into the world and explore really why they matter, why they really matter to your enjoyment of the season. And in fact, as we'll see throughout this series, understanding how Jesus came into, the wor- into this world is, is not something that can just give you some depth in the Advent season, but these things that we're going to explore, they're actually critical to our understanding of who Jesus is. We miss Jesus, we miss who he really is and why he really came if we don't understand these things that we're gonna cover. If we just pass over them or or lose one of these aspects of the nativity story, the whole thing just falls apart and we're really left with nothing but sentimentality. And so we're gonna look at four aspects of the nativity story and, and see what they really mean for our faith why this really matters and how they provide depth in a season of passing Christmas joy. And first up, the first aspect that's commonly known about the nativity story that I want to explore today is the virgin birth. The virgin birth. Now the virgin birth is a strange aspect of the nativity story. Can we just admit that? That's weird. It's strange. It's it's one that many deride and and few actually understand. We we don't really know why why Mary had to be a virgin in order for Jesus to come in the way that he did. We don't really understand it. One of my one of my friends, I remember back when I was with a, a crew of other pastors doing some training. I remember one Advent season we were talking about our favorite like Christmas memories or Advent memories, and and one of them shared how when he was a teenager his uh, his church put on like the Christmas play uh, that, that a lot of churches do. And, and at the time that it came for this, this young little girl, maybe four years old, to say, uh, what's the line? Round yon virgin, mother and child. She with great passion belted out Round up your virgins, mother and child. Uh, and it was, it was something that really stuck in his mind. And, and obviously that, that little kid didn't know what a, what a virgin is and no one wanted to explain that to her. Um, but the truth is also that, you know, in the same way that that little girl didn't know what a virgin is, we don't really know why it matters that Mary is a virgin. It just seems like this pretty strange miracle that m- maybe showed that the baby being born was kind of significant. But the connection of the virgin birth to the person and work of Jesus is usually lost on us. So I just want to look at a few things today and and explore why this really matters to our faith. Why we have to have the virgin birth to really celebrate Christmas well and faithfully. But before I do that, I, I, I do want to get into some of the, uh, really one of the main objections to the virgin birth. If you didn't know, belief in the virgin birth of Christ is contested in our day and age. Did you know that not everyone believes that Jesus came and was born of a virgin? Surprise, surprise. And, and in fact, that, that contesting is is not new. It, it's been that way for a long time. R- really, in the late 1800s, the liberal church began to grow in a deep suspicion and skepticism of the supernatural aspects of the Christian faith. And, and one of the main things that was challenged by the liberal church was the virgin birth of Christ. You, you see, po- post-enlightenment thinkers in the late 1800s, they, like many of us today, felt themselves just too sophisticated, right? Too, too enlightened to believe in a virgin birth, Really, the main objection formed around the virgin birth over the last 140 years became just this rejection of, hey, we're we're modern scientific people. We, We know how babies are born. We know that it takes a man and a woman. And so the idea of a virgin birth in the early Christian faith is chalked up to just an ignorance of how those ancient, unscientific people of the first century world thought. They just didn't know any better. That's why they could believe in such a thing. But we modern people, we're more sophisticated, we're more scientific, and so we know better than to believe in a virgin birth. But the problem with that objection is that it doesn't really square with the New Testament's witness to this idea of a virgin birth. Listen, if you were dating someone, or let's even say engaged, and they came to you and said, I'm pregnant. But I promise, I promise, 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 I've never had sex with anyone. What would you do? You would think they are either a liar or they are insane, right? And the great thing is, is that's exactly what Joseph in the account of Matthew does with Mary. The, The idea that back then they just didn't really know that a virgin birth wasn't possible just doesn't square with the New Testament witness, when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, he believes that the, what the rest of us would believe: Oh, she's cheated on me. And it's not until an angel actually visits him does he say, "Okay, well, things must be different here." Those people back then that our modern society often derides as just ancient and unscientific and unmodern, ignorant—they knew how babies were born. <laughs> they knew how it happened, and that's why Joseph reacts in the way that he does. He was ready to leave Mary. He was ready to give her a certificate of divorce and say, you go your own way. They knew how babies were born. The first century world, they were not clueless on what needs to happen. They knew that. And yet they still believed. They still believed that Jesus was born of a virgin. They were not unscientific. They were not ignorant. They are not, we are not more sophisticated than they were when it comes to the procreation of children. (laughs) They knew exactly what they were believing, and that's why that objection really falls flat. But with that objection, you know, to, the question to answer really is this: What's the big deal with the virgin birth? Like, like, why is it there, and why is it absolutely critical that it is there? Why, do, why do we really need it? Again, this miracle birth is not an incidental miracle that's just meant to catch your attention to the uniqueness of this child that is being born. No, it's a necessary miracle that holds up some aspects of the good news of Jesus. You see, the the miracle of the virgin birth is directly connected to the person and work of Jesus Christ. What Jesus went on to do with the rest of his life in saving us from our sins, well, it, it starts here by being born of a virgin. How so? How does that work? What's what's the significance? Well, first, there is a theological significance to the virgin birth. And, And that theological significance is connected to what's called original sin. Now, original sin is the doctrine that explains so much about our world. There's a lot of things in the Christian faith that is easy to doubt, easy to really kind of second guess, but the idea of original sin, that every single person is a sinner and has been born into the world with a sinful bent, is a really easy thing to, really easy thing to believe. You, you can see it all throughout our world. Now, the, the doctrine of original sin is this, that, that in the beginning, mankind was made in the image of God talk about this all the time at Icon, that we were made in the image of God to reflect his glory and his grace. And that, that reality is described in the first few pages of scripture. We see that from the very beginning. But what is also described is the way in which that image has become corrupted in us. You see, the, the Christian faith believes that Adam and Eve, those first parents, were in many ways the representatives of mankind from the very beginning, And that were they to obey, we would receive their blessing. Were they to sin, we would receive their curse. We see this in Romans 5, verses 12 through 14, where where Paul is talking about how all of the world has come under the dominion of sin because Adam sinned. Adam, through his disobedience, spread sin to all of mankind in his disobedience to God's command. And so all of us inherit that sinful nature Again, we, we believe that humans were originally created innocent, morally neutral, that we were made in the image of God. But because of Adam and Eve's original sin against God, we now are born with what the old church fathers used to say, homo incurvitas inse, the inward curving of the human soul. That every, every person that is born is born with this corruption. And what's interesting is we see this very quickly in the beginning of the Bible, If you read Genesis chapters 1 through 12, it is disorienting how quickly things fall apart, right? I mean, Genesis 1 and 2 is this world of beauty and order that God creates. It's this garden that he himself has managed and cultivated, and he tells Adam and Eve to go and spread this beauty all throughout the world, but the moment that they sin against him in Genesis 3, the rest of it quickly goes downhill. Just the very next chapter, we, we hear of one of the first murders in human history. A jealous brother who's jealous of, of his brother's obedience, and he chooses to react by murdering him. And then as the story progresses, things go further and further south, and that's because those human beings are born then with a sinful nature just like us. Now, we are born with a sinful nature that bends us away from God and toward ourselves, and because of that, as soon as we become able to act in a morally responsible way, we become transgressors of God's law and fall into sin. No one has to teach a human being how to disobey. No one has to instruct them on that. Again, I, I just wanna put up a, like a, a camera in our, our kids' bedroom to show you the ways in which sin is natural to every human person. <laughs> Putting them, again, in the, in the same room, we've seen some, some dark things in the human heart, right? Both theirs and ours, okay? <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> Sin is natural. We are corrupted. We, we have this sinful nature that we have inherited from our first parents. But, but as you can see here in the story, as Rochelle read that, that in Luke 1, the angel that visits Mary describes to her that this child will be different. The the, the angel clearly demarcates this child as one who will be holy. The the sinful nature that, that we all inherit is not something Jesus seems to inherit, and that's because the virgin birth is a disruption in the human line of sin. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and conceives Jesus in her womb. And because of that, he is born holy. It's a disruption in the human line that Jesus will not have a sinful nature. And we even even get hints of this in in Matthew's account of the virgin birth. So so in that account, the angel tells Joseph that the name of the child should be Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. Now the key word there is their sins. Jesus is, is not born with a sinful nature And because of that, he's able to save others from their sin. He doesn't need saving in himself, and because of that, he can actually become a savior. The biblical witness of the virgin birth is that it means Jesus was born with a truly clean slate. He did not have in him that corrupt nature that would lead him into sin naturally. And this is important because it means that, you know, later in the gospel accounts, when Satan comes to tempt Jesus, that temptation becomes a true choice for Jesus. It's not like there's something in him that's already bending him towards sin. Instead, because of his sinless nature, it's a true choice. Jesus is not bound by this corruption in him that would make him want to sin. Instead, he is truly tempted by Satan, and he is able to make the objective choice to obey God and not fall into sin. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus chose to obey God, which means on top of that clean slate that Jesus had, he built on top of that a life of real righteousness that in no way was tempted by sin. That's the theological significance of the virgin birth. And and because I know you well, I would guess many of you might have your eyes glazed over a bit. Cool, the theological significance of the virgin birth. Cool, Jesus didn't have a, a sinful nature and that sounds pretty important, but you might be wondering why that actually matters to you. Again, if this is meant to deepen our Christmas experience, why does it matter? Well, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you are excited for the new year? Talk back to me, raise your hand. How many of you are excited? Now I see some, I see some grimaces now. <laughs> I'm very excited for the new year. I started working out again a week and a half ago. Thank you for noticing, thank you. Uh, and uh, I-, I wanted to get a jump on it before the new year, I just wanted to be like, you know I-, I wanna start the new year already jacked, you know, so that I know I can really like carry it through into the new year. Uh, and so that's, that's been really good. We all, we all love New Year's, and, I, and I, I'm excited for the new year because I'll continue to build muscle, but we're excited because of the fresh start that it offers us, right? We're, we're so excited for the turning of a calendar because in our minds, the turning of a calendar somehow means that now is our fresh start, that now's the time that we just get to start over. We, we all have this natural desire to, to start over in things, Because we've failed in in some way already. Maybe you failed at your resolutions this year and you really believe that next year it's really gonna be new year, new you. In other words, we all want a clean slate that we can rebuild on again. We we want to be able to, to start over and that's not just true in the new year but in life. We all have those things that we wish we could just wipe from our record. We have those things that we wish we could just Get rid of that, that. That no longer was slotted to our account, but we could actually be free from that. We could be clean from that. We could have a real fresh start. But the virgin birth, friends, it tells us that we don't need a fresh start. That we don't need a fresh start because Jesus is the fresh start that God gives us. We we again we have that desire to just have a clean slate that we can rebuild on again. And that's a good desire, that's fine. But when it comes to our assurance of salvation and our confidence as a Christian, we don't need a clean slate. Jesus is the clean slate that God gives us. He came with no sinful nature and built upon that a perfect record. And because of that, we don't need a fresh start. Jesus actually is the fresh start of humanity. He's the one that God starts over with. He's the one that came with a clean slate and he built on top of that a life of righteousness righteousness that can be ours by faith. If you believe that, how could that change your Christmas season? Christmas, uh, it always comes at the end of a year, right? What this year do you deeply regret? What do you wish you could just forget? Things that you did, things that you said, What do you wish you could just forget and move on from? Well, friends, that desire is is unnecessary in Christ. We can see that he is our fresh start. We don't have anything to rebuild. We don't have anything that we have to redo in order for us to feel confident. We can have confidence that Jesus Christ gives us a perfect record. That's the significance of the virgin birth. Assurance. Peace at the end of a messy year, anybody else want that? What confidence that can give us but there 's another another significance to the virgin birth that should also give us joy in the christmas season and that 's this: the original context of the, I don't know if you know this, but the virgin birth was one of the things that was uh, predicted and promised in the Old Testament. And where it is predicted and promised is in Isaiah 7. And in Isaiah 7, the original context of that promise is that the king of Israel, King Ahaz, is in a lot of trouble. Um, he is surrounded by enemies at every side. Uh, he's afraid, he's, he's, he's shaking in his boots. And he's, he's trying to figure out, how do I get past all of my enemies? Do I need to make a political alliance with him? Do I need to do something that can save us from their wrath? So the original promise of the virgin birth in Isaiah seven is in the context of fear. And, it, and that promise is given when, when God tells King Ahaz to ask God for a sign which Ahaz actually refuses because it's, it's pretty clear in the text that Ahaz has already made up his mind to save himself by forming alliances with God's enemies. But God says, and I say Isaiah, Isaiah 7, that even though Ahaz refuses it, he's still going to give his people a sign. And he says that the sign will be this, the virgin will conceive. You see, the original promise of the virgin birth is given in the context of fear, And the reason God gives the promise is because he's trying to convince his people and to show his people that they can actually trust him to to help when they feel like their backs are against the wall. Again, Ahaz feels surrounded by his enemies and he doesn't know what he's gonna do and God answers that by saying, listen, if you will trust me, I wanna give you this sign, this sign that seems impossible to show you that you can trust me with the impossible. You can trust me to show up and to rescue you. The virgin birth, it's God saying to humanity that he can be trusted to do the impossible. He can be trusted to step into those situations and those circumstances that we feel dominated by, that we can't find a way out of. And so the original context, the original context of the promise shows us that, that God is doing the impossible. He's able to do that. God coming through in ways that we couldn't. I mean, that's even why in the text that we read, Elizabeth is mentioned in our text as well. There's another impossible birth. This barren woman named Elizabeth is, is pregnant. pregnant. What was impossible for her, God came through as well, which again, that's actually how the angel closes his little speech. What is impossible with man is possible with God. The virgin birth is meant to be God's message to us that there are things we can't work our way out of, we can't think our way out of, we can't figure our way out of. And for those things in life that are too difficult for us to figure out, we can trust God to do the impossible. Anybody else feel that? Does anybody here have something in their life that they just need God to come through on? And they're, they're so tempted to just manufacture your own solution, like Ahaz. I mean, I'll, 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 I feel that. So it's the end of the year, and I'm a pastor, which part of what that means is that I'm trying to plan through next year what, what do we need to think through and, and preach through and do as a church next year. And, and the end of the year is always built, there's always such like, it's charged with the potential for ambition for me. Like what's the next year gonna look like? I have so many desires for us as a church. What do we need to do in order to, to have this invested in our church, to be a church of depth that takes our God seriously? And I was, as I was praying through the sermon last night, it just hit me how often I myself fall into just trying to figure out a solution for the ambitions that I have for icon. Rather than pray, <laughs> rather than trust God, I, ju- I just think that I can just think my way to a solution. I can think my way to depth in our discipleship. When the reality is, is that it's probably an impossible task, that task that only God can come through on. <laughs> And the virgin birth is screaming at me and screaming at you that we can trust God to do the impossible. We can trust God to come through in the ways that we need. That's the significance of the virgin birth, friends. That Jesus is the clean slate of humanity that by faith we can have assurance. And it's screaming to us that we can trust God in the impossible aspect of our lives. That, friends, those two primal human emotions, guilt and fear, the virgin birth answers those. (laughs) And if you hear what it's saying, it can change your Christmas. It can give such depth and joy. And so I want you to do something. In order to really attach to the meaning of the virgin birth, throughout this Christmas season, I I want you to make a list of two things. Make a list of the things that this year you regret the most. Like what are, what are the things, what are the relationships, what are the things you've said or done? You just deeply regret that you wish you could take back. And then use that to meditate on the grace of Jesus Christ. That when you read through those things that you regret and that desire for a fresh start, that desire for a redo comes up in you, you can say to that, Christ is my Christ is my clean slate. He is my perfect record. I don't have to regret because Jesus is my assurance. And then second, is there something impossible in your life right now? Is there something that you've tried to think your way through to a solution? You've tried to work your way to a solution but you just seem to be hitting a wall. Make a list of it, friends. Make it practical. Make a list of it and say, God, in here, I need you to come through. I need you to do the impossible. I need you to actually show up and intervene. Now, I know that those two things are not the normal lists that we make during Christmas and making a list of your regrets and the things that you feel are impossible to be done is not really the Christmas season, right? But if you do it, and you hold those up before the realities of the virgin birth that is telling you that you have a clean slate in Christ and God can do anything that feels impossible to us, it can deepen your adversities and friends. And so submit these things to the realities of the virgin birth. These things that tell us that Christ is our clean slate, he is our perfect record, regret is unnecessary, and that we can trust God to come through in the areas that we feel totally helpless Let's pray. Father, the way in which your son came into this world, God, it's telling us things about you that you are able to be trusted in, Lord, It's telling us that you intervene in our situations that feel impossible. You're the one who gives us a clean start, a fresh start. And because of that, we can have hope. We don't have to be given over to regret. We don't have to look to this new year with a false sense of hope that somehow we're finally gonna get it right. We don't have to hang our hopes on that but rather we can trust in Jesus, who gives us a perfect record that was built on his clean slate, and because of that, we can have assurance. So Father, would you help us to believe that? Would you give us faith in your son and faith in you to do the impossible? We trust you for these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church.